Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, here we are again. Um, these Mondays roll around pretty fast, don't they, Richard? Boy, they sure do. It seems like they, ro- they roll around even faster now that we don't have all of our kids sitting around waiting and saying, when's family home evening? When's family home evening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as though they ever did. <laughs> Yeah, the Mondays come around pretty fast, and for a change, we're actually sitting at our home this Monday, and so Ayers on the road, we're going to call it Ayers off the road, but just for about a week, and then we've got to hit the road again, and I'll tell you what, I have the interesting, I guess it's an advantage of being married to a woman who loves to travel. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but um, I do like being out on the road. I think it's awesome. Well, I'll tell you one thing about the road, and especially our road, where it involves meeting with and speaking to all kinds of parents all over the world. It surely makes for diversification and interest. And one of the things we love that we've never really gotten into as much as we should on this show is how... How wonderfully, I mean, you would think with, you know, we've been we've been in 45 countries in the last several years speaking to parents in all 50 of the different states and so on. And you would think that everywhere we go, we'd find a different set of parents with a different set of values and a different set of problems and a different set of hopes and dreams, and that we'd have to be altering our message to them almost every week, depending on where we were. But, Linda, is that the case? It is not the case. It's so amazing whether we're in Asia, in Vietnam, in Australia, in uh, Germany, wherever we are, it is just we're so amazed, even if the culture is very different. Everyone wants the same thing for their kids. It's quite remarkable. It's, it was quite delightful, actually, because when we first started traveling, we thought, oh, my gosh, we, we've got to tailor this to every culture and so on and so on. And there are some differences, obviously. Um, we found that um, in the Chinese culture, praise is not part of their culture, and um, obedience is. And, you know, there are some things like that. But by and large, it is amazing. People just want their children to be happy and well-adjusted and successful and self-reliant and all those things that every parent wants. And when it comes to thinking about their children, all parents, regardless of how they are in other walks of their life, are remarkably conservative, if I might use that word, not in the political sense, but in the in the sense of being very careful, very protective. Remember the one Indonesian man, Linda, that said, if you want a good definition of a, of a conservative, here's one for you. It's a flaming liberal with a teenage daughter. Right. Everybody <laughs> wants their teenage daughter to um, accept the world as they would and um, to be safe. In the, in the long run. So we certainly do run into different cultures. That would not surprise anyone listening. But, again, what's interesting is that there's something that sort of cuts across all cultures, and that is this wonderful sort of parent-child bond and love and hope and dream where we all dearly care about our children and 
dearly want them to be safe and happy and to to grow up to be a good, responsible, happy adult. You know, I mean, even it's it's even true in the most extreme cultural differences. I someone asked the other day, what's the the I can't remember if they used the word weird, but that was the implication. What's the oddest or the weirdest place you've ever spoken to a group of parents? And the thing that jumped to mind, first of all, was uh, uh, at that time in in, uh, in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia where we, um, we, we did a parenting speech and we had to give it twice because we had to give it first to the men in one room and then to the women in another room because... Their culture in the in the uh, very extreme and very conservative uh, Muslim world is that men and women don't uh, congregate together publicly for any reason, even for a parenting lecture. Well, that, what's interesting about that, Richard, though, is that the first time we went was five or six years ago, and those were young parents uh, going along with the mores of their. Uh, of their culture, but we went again a couple of years ago, as you'll remember, and we had a lovely meeting in a beautiful, enormous home, but it was so comfortable to be there with both the moms and the dads, so maybe that's changing a bit. Maybe that was just a very unusual situation. Well, because it was in a private home, but if it had been out in a a public hall, they probably still would have had to be in two separate places even weddings there as linda well knows because she attended one uh, the the men and the women are separate except for the one moment that you tell me if i'm right on this linda when the husband and wife come together to be married (laughs) no no they no they'd already been married but they i mean don't get me going on this richard this was the most amazing (laughs) experience of my life to go to this wedding oh my gosh 500 women all in black abayas until they got to the door of this gorgeous gold leaf building that was so beautiful for the wedding reception and um, shed their abayas and beautiful designer Paris and Italian dresses that you could not believe. Um, and they danced all night and then for... Uh, just with women, just to all with the With each women other, yeah. Together. And then uh, at, oh, about two in the morning, they had the groom and the father and the, the males come in for about a half an hour. They all um, put on their bias again, and they came in. And um, and the, the bias, for those of you that don't know, is the full length, completely covering garment that Muslim women are required to wear. But not the burqa, not over the face. It was just over the head. But anyway, it was so fascinating because they... Um, what happened was they, the bride came down a beautiful stairway with a little child with the ring on a pillow on a Quran, and she came down draped in diamonds and rocked, walked down a runway just about like Miss America. And then um, the men came in. Everyone was draped again. They took pictures of the family, and they showed a video, just like we would show a video. I was just flabbergasted. It was amazing. They had a person from Paris come in and do the video just perfectly from the childhood. And and then they sent the men off, and they partied for the rest of the night. It was quite amazing. Well, and just to add, and by the way, we're we're working our way toward the subject for today, which is going to be about marriage. But uh, So this is kind of a nice segue, Linda, although this might have been as different a marriage as, as uh, you could ever find on the face of the earth, but but a picture of me in the meantime back at our hotel. 
thinking that Linda would be coming home, you know, by midnight or whatever from this wedding that she'd been invited to and I had not been invited to. And uh, (laughs) then I got worried because I realized Linda had gone out into the Saudi Arabian night without a burqa, without anything covering her head in Western clothing. And I started remembering stories I'd heard about women being thrown in jail for much less than that. (laughs) <laughs> and when it got to be about six in the morning, Linda, and you still weren't home, I was pretty sure you were in the slammer somewhere. Well, they just forgot <laughs> to tell us that these weddings go all night, you know. <laughs> they don't end until six o'clock in the morning. And so uh, that, that was absolutely an amazing experience, and there's more to tell. But I think we should really <laughs> go. Well, it's a good segue, Linda, like I say, because we want to talk about and, and one other thing that might serve as a segue, and most listeners are aware of this, that in very, very large portions of the world, marriages, when you say marriage, what you mean is an arranged marriage, where in Hindu culture and Buddhist, much of Buddhist culture and much of Muslim culture, the marriages are not two kids that fall in love at the dance or whatever. They are two families that merge and join and that makes it a little different, doesn't it? Well, it does, but I am, we must admit, Richard, that we have become advocates of uh, arranged marriage because we have She just a, means we've got one son we'd like to arrange a marriage And for a him. daughter. And, you know, we really, would, I just could pick out somebody perfect for them if they'd just go for it. Actually, it's an arrangement of families. And the more we were in these cultures, I think, the more we grew to really appreciate what it was they were doing. These are not usually not forced marriages they they have their choice of yes this might work or might not work but i sat by a little they have veto power yeah they, they most the, of them the do i'm sure in some potential bride and groom yeah in some of the more radical parts maybe not but everyone that we talked to i sat by a darling eight-year-old in an i mean 18 year old in an abaya at dinner one night in bahrain and uh, I said, well, how do you feel about an arranged marriage? And she said, oh, I couldn't possibly choose my own husband. I trust my parents explicitly. I'm so excited to meet my husband. And, you know, I, Linda she was, was green honest. with envy. Honestly, she was very <laughs> honest about it. And so just the sweetest girl, uh, not unlike our teenagers here, maybe a little more innocent, um, a little more sweet. But um, it really is quite an interesting culture. But that that is a kind of a roundabout segue into what we want to talk about today, which is marriage. And the, and you, 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 many of you listeners have come to regard this uh, Ayers on the Road show as a parenting show, and indeed it is. We usually talk about the fine art and the difficult challenge of raising children. But today we want to remind you of a terrific and true cliché that essentially says to you dads out there, the best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. And to you moms out there, the best thing you can do for your children is to love their father. Now, we're aware there are a lot of single-parent families, and believe us, our hats are off to them, right, Linda? Absolutely, boy. The buck stops there, and it's so difficult. But I, I do but have to... Sa- I was just going to say at the same time, if you are uh, lucky enough to be a two-parent family, how important it is to your children that you make your marriage the best marriage it can possibly be. Well, you know, interestingly, we go through these parenting classes with uh, groups all over, and um, 
often at the end they say, you know, we we understand, we're excited about these parenting ideas, we're going to go start them, but how do you do this as a couple? How do you get on the same page? How do you handle that? Because, you know, we're so different. I don't know if we could ever get on the same page as far as parenting techniques and so on. And we realize that we have not said enough about how we do uh, get on the same page because we're so different. Well, and the fact is that uh, when you come right down to it, if you want to speak bluntly, the marriage relationship is the most important relationship, more important than the parent-child relationship. And couples who each individually work very, very hard on being good parents to the children, but who do not work nearly hard enough on their own relationship and on their own marriage, are really getting the cart before the horse. And, And the problems of that kind of relationship come to roost not only in the happiness of the husband and wife, but in the in the security and the happiness of the child. Children have a an amazing sense of how their parents are with each other, and nothing makes children more secure than to feel like my mom loves my dad and my dad loves my mom. Even though they do hear us disagreeing quite often, um, you know we ha- we have friends, and I do have a friend who says, "Really, I've never I've never disagreed with my husband. We just always we're just so much the same." Boring, boring. They, now, honey, stop that. <laughs> There's people out there that feel that way, and it's fine. But it really is hard to um, just come up with a way that you can. Let the kids know that you do you are your own person, you do have differences, but that you're on the same page on their uh, parenting, not always, but in the way you deal with things. It's really, it's really important. So we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back for the second half, we're going to get into something that you might want to be thinking about during the break, and we call it oneness. Oneness in marriage, which we think is the impossible dream, but also the very best kind of goal that a husband and wife can have concerning their relationship. And believe us, oneness does not mean sameness, and it does not mean cloning each other or becoming exactly alike and having no differences and no disagreements. So, we'll be back in a few minutes. Back again with the second half of Ayers on the Road for this particular week. Um, you know, we're, we have been talking about um, some interesting things this this, this day, and we uh, want to kind of morph into um, how we do get on the same page with our parenting. I I think that we ought to maybe divulge that Richard is a product of the Harvard Business School, so everything has to be business at our house. <laughs> Strictly business around here, Linda. We have to have a meeting every uh, Sunday. We we call it our, we have our own personal Sunday session, but then we have what we call an executive session, so that we meet together. We go through. Um, the schedule for the week and where we have to be and what we have to do and what our plans are and so on. And then when the kids were all home, we had what we called uh, a middle management meeting. 
we had if we had kids that were over eight, they were called tutors. Under eight, they were called tutees. And the <laughs> tutors were assigned to the tutees. And um, we had so much fun having those kids be responsible for sitting by their little tutor and tutee and helping them cut their meat and read their storybook at night and all those kinds of things. But it really it did give us kind of a focal point of organization in the house as far as we're going to have a formal meeting. Now, I don't know how many people could do that, Richard. I mean, I know you well, want to everyone, Well, everyone could have a weekly meeting, dear. Everyone could. Well, and they do should. have a family meeting, of course. But I mean, <laughs> no, I'm talking I mean, about between the husband and the wife. I really think that's so, so essential. I mean, you are the top management of your family. There's only two of you. You are the executive committee. There's there's no one else but the two of you. Well, and, and God, hopefully, is involved through your prayers. But how in the world would you run an organization as complex and convoluted as a family without having at least one planning meeting every week? And I think in our case, Linda, if you were to be... If you were to come totally clean, you'd have to admit that that's where we resolve a lot of our natural differences is in that weekly meeting where we try to figure out what each of the kids needs and how in the world we're going to do it. But also, first and foremost, how our own relationships coming along and what the needs are that are not being met. Yeah, you know, I do have some really fun memories of some breakthroughs because, as I mentioned before, we probably are two of the most different people, the the way we do things, the way we think about things and so on, as any two people. And I know there are a lot of people listening that feel that they're different from their spouse. But we realize that that is a plus rather than a minus because we... Um, we bring things to the marriage that the other one couldn't possibly have. So during these meetings, and, and you know, I get my feelings hurt easily, and I don't know if you knew I was going to divulge this or not, honey, but um, we actually have, we have what we call a little feeling session, you know, at, at the end of our little meeting and say, if I had something that really bothered me that week, I would say, I'd start out by saying, you're, you know, you're a great guy, and I love that you take the garbage out and all that, but you <laughs> blah, really blah. hurt my feelings this week when you said da-da-da-da-da. And, um, and you probably didn't even realize it in most cases, but I did feel like it was a forum, a way that we could bring that back out so that it wasn't buried and I was feeling more and more angry about it, and so that we got it out on the table and we talked about it. Sometimes it, re- you know, it resulted in tears, Sometimes it just resulted in, oh, gosh, you know, I didn't even realize that. But it really did um, resolve a lot of things for the next week. Well, and I think that's a you just hit on such a key point, Linda, that uh, we have a saying we just love, and it, we've almost made it one of the mottos of our marriage. But it, it goes like this, unexpressed feelings never die. They just get buried and come forth later in uglier forms. That's that's almost has a Halloween ring to it, doesn't it? Does. As we go into October, but, but um, you just cannot bury these feelings. And yet, we didn't want to be, you know, fighting and and having disagreements all the time. And you know, someone once told us that gave us the advice: never let the sun set on a disagreement. Well, in our case, with as much difference of opinion and strong willedness as we have, we'd have been up all night every night. Sometimes you do have to sort of 
defer and agree to disagree on something, but only for a short time. And for us, it was like never let the weekend without resolving things. So this Sunday session, this time where we'd express the feelings, and in an environment where you're you're also expressing love and you're you're working on the management of your family and so on, it's a it's an atmosphere where feelings are not hurt as easily as if someone was just lambasted with some problem during the week. And so during that special time on Sunday, Linda was able to say, you know, my feelings were hurt, or I was able to say, didn't you understand what I was feeling at such and such time? And, but not in a combative way. Now we're, we're past it, we're resolving it, we're able to look back and try to understand it and try to get a little more on the same page. You know, I think it took us a few years to figure that out now. You know, we're into 42 years here together, but I think the first few years we were up all night a lot. Well, we really had some things to work out, but we did figure that out. I think that phrase came from Stephen Covey because because I did feel like I had buried some things and I was resentful of some things and so on. And once you get it out, that was so fun. Oh, you feel so much better. So much better. And another thing that I remember we did in one of those meetings that was so helpful is we decided to write down four things we thought the other person needed. You remember that? Yes, I do. And it was so interesting because I thought for sure you knew what I needed, and I thought for sure I knew what you needed. And we changed our list, and we, well, a couple of them are Well, we both both ended up writing down four things we needed that we assumed the other person needed. That's right. (laughs) So there's a lot of those kind of exercises. But I want to, before we get too far from Melinda, I want to point out one thing you hinted at, which is, one of the real breakthroughs for many, many couples is simply to realize and to sort of admit and come to grips with the fact that we are not the same and we're never going to be the same. And guess what? We don't really want to be the same. It's okay to have differences. In fact, it's the creative resolution of those differences that creates this wonderful thing called synergy where the, the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what we should all be striving for um, in a marriage. And I just have to tell one quick story. Um, we used to have a wonderful man living, in, went to church the same place we did. His name was LeGrand Richards, and he was in his 90s. And I one day in a meeting setting asked him how he, you know, what's the key to long life? What's the key to longevity? How did you live to be so old? And and he said, well, 65 years ago when my wife and I were married, we made a solemn vow that we would never fight or argue within the walls of our home. And I thought to myself, I thought, well, that's very impressive, but it has nothing to do with my question. Then, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, that's why I've lived so long. We've spent so much time in the out of doors. I love that. <laughs> and what he was really saying, I think you'll agree, Linda, was, of course people have disagreements, but you need to manage them well. And in his case, they actually did go outside to resolve those differences. And he said if it was in the winter, we'd resolve them very fast because we'd get cold and we'd want to come back in. But the point is, they had disagreements. All marriages do. And it's not important to, to stop having them. It's important how they're resolved. Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, it's it's so interesting because there are so many divorces now, and and often for good reasons because we know there are issues that there are some legitimate work through. Yeah, they're better off without each other. But in so many cases, it's a matter of really being able to work through and feel that sort of oneness together. Even though you disagree, you can disagree, you can agree to disagree on some things, but agree that we're partners. You know, we're here to go forward together. Let's figure this out. And there's a commitment. That's that's what's wrong with so much of the world's practice today. Of cohabitation and let's try it out let's be sure that we're compatible let's be sure this works and and oftentimes more often than not it does not work and part of the reason is because there's no commitment and once the commitment is made in a beautiful formal setting then those two people have a chance to work through the difficulties and to stay committed even though there are ups and downs by the way another thing that happens so often in our practice in our working with parents is a young young wife or a young husband will come up and say oh i'm so discouraged we've 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 been having disagreements and differences and my own parents never fought or disagreed on anything and we probably shouldn't be so cavalier about it, Linda, but we usually look at them and say, oh, yes, they did. They just hid it from you. They just never let you see. And actually, that's not the best thing. It's okay for children to know that their parents sometimes disagree. But if they see you in an argument or in a disagreement, it is not the end of the world. But what is so essential is that they see you resolve it and that you sit them down and explain to them how you resolve it, then they're learning real life and not getting the wool pulled over their eyes. Yeah, I think sometimes we feel like we're protecting our children by, you know, retiring to the back room to have an argument and so on, which we are. I mean, we don't want them to see us getting out of control or uh, saying things that are hateful or anything like that. But it is just so interesting to be sure that you let your children see that you still love each other, that you've you've worked through it, that you've made up. I mean, I know that children think the second they see you arguing, divorce. You know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, is such a worry for them. So to assure them over and over again, Dad and I may not agree on everything, but we love each other and we're totally committed. Um, it's and it's really powerful. Pro- and here's the process by which we worked it out. I mean, you and you and your marriage can actually be a conflict resolution model for your children, even fairly small children, when they see, ah, they talked about it, they explained it to each other, they came to understand each other. We used to have a real rule we used in our marriage that we passed on to our children, which is if you're in an altercation or a difference, have a simple ground rule as you have your discussion, and that is that before you can make your next point in the argument, quote-unquote, you have to restate what the opposite party, what your partner said, to their satisfaction. In other words, you have to say, okay, what you just said is, and then you paraphrase it, and the person says, yes, that's right, you understood me. Then, and only then, can you make your next point. And boy, does that defuse an argument in a big hurry. It does. And one other thing, too, that's really helped us a lot, and this is not our religious program, but certainly prayer is the only place we've had to go a lot of times. And I just, I remember, you know, just 
kneeling down and saying, you know, starting out by saying, please help this stupid person to see how wrong he is. Luckily, you never actually said that in a prayer. You'd have been struck by lightning. I might have been. But, you know, then something happens. Just something happens, and it just, you're softened, and then you suddenly start seeing the other person's view a little bit, and uh, you're better at that than I am, I'm not, I have to no, say. No, I, am, I, I stay mad for a while than longer than you do. But anyway, it really is so important to work those things out so that you feel like you are working side by side and not pulling against each other. All the you time. know, it was actually Lincoln, and it wasn't in a marriage context, but it sure works in a marriage context. It was Lincoln who said, there are times when I am driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. And you've probably felt that in your marriage, times when you are so at odds that there really is nowhere else to go but on your knees, and oftentimes that's the best place you could go. So we just wish you the very best in thinking about your partnership this week and thinking about how you can feel a little more oneness, get the kids involved in in knowing that you're committed to one another, and we hope that that works a bit, and we'll and, be with you next week. Well, and you know, Linda, I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. If not, we can have an argument about it right here on the air. But I I feel there's a lot of uh, electricity on this subject, a lot of need, a lot of interest. And I think pending some other major development that we feel we need to talk about, we will continue with sort of part two next week of this whole business of oneness in marriage. We haven't really got to the oneness part and we'll we'll go further with that if that's okay with you, Linda. That's okay. See you next time.